Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Business Casual, our weekly podcast that examines the business school community and world and business school programs. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. I'm here with my co-host, Caroline D.R.D. Edwards, who is a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, and Maria Wittpilla, who is the founder of Applicant Lab. The big news we want to discuss is the Economist decision to abandon business school rankings. The Economist announced that it will no longer rank MBA programs, executive MBA programs, and master in management programs uh, starting immediately. The magazine said it was withdrawing from the market primarily for quote-unquote commercial reasons. Many know that the Economist ranking has been subject to incredible criticism. The results from year to year are very flaky, inconsistent, unpredictable, and unjustifiable by any standard. So there's no question that these rankings did not reflect well on the prestige and the authority of the Economist brand, which is truly one of the most esteemed media uh, brands in the world and engages an incredible audience of decision makers and influencers throughout the world. And so I imagine there's be a fair bit of celebration among business school deans, associate deans, admission directors, career management people in the business school community who look at this ranking and say, this is nuts. It's crazy. And after all, if you even look at the latest ranking that was published not all that long ago this year, NCAD, London Business School, Oxford, Cambridge, IE Business School, and Imperial College London all decided, you know, we're not going to play this game anymore. We're not going to even be involved in it and decided not to participate with the ranking, which, of course, further eroded what little credibility it had in the marketplace. I wonder what my two critics of rankings, Maria and Caroline, think of the economist decision and whether there is some mixed feelings about the decision by this magazine to walk away from the market. Caroline? Well, my first reaction when I saw the PQ news flash about this was, oh, thank God. And how did it possibly take them so many years to realize how <laughs> shoddy this ranking was? I mean, it was Shoddy's truly... A good one. I, love, I love that oh, word, shoddy. God. I mean, it's I'm so a huge British. fan. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of The Economist, right? I mean, I've been a subscriber for years. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of, of the organization and the quality of the journalism it produces. And it was just tremendously frustrating to see this you know, frankly, crap being churned out year by year. And, you know, how could they not realize how, how bad it was? Um, you know, and, and when I was at INSEAD, as you know, I was responsible for putting together the data and liaising with the rankings organizations and, you know, providing the submissions from INSEAD. I spent a lot of time on that. And, um, uh, you know, it, and it's, it's not a fun thing for schools to have to deal with. And it's incredibly frustrating that, you know, we would generally do incredibly badly in that ranking. And I think there was a lot of bad data going into the ranking from some schools that also led to the volatile results. You know, we were always very, we always play those games very straight um, at INSEAD and so felt that um, it wasn't particularly fair because I'm not sure that everyone was playing the game fairly because, you know, some organizations are much more careful about the, the the methodology and the quality of the data, right? So, you know, FT 
audit the data um, periodically. They go around all of the schools um, every so often and and audit the data. And it's a pretty thorough process. And um, organizations like The Economist never did that. And I think there were you know a lot of question marks about the quality of some of the data that was being used. True. So it was, um, yeah, and it's extremely frustrating for the schools to see, you know, the 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 brand of, you know, and, and knowing that it didn't, you know, obviously didn't truly reflect the quality of the program, but some people will look at that and think, oh, wow, you know, it's number 30. They've really gone down the drain, haven't they? <laughs> um, and, you know, occasionally you have to explain that and you have to explain to people, you know, the people are coming with, the, as you know, with the business school market every year, there is a new generation a new class of people who are starting to learn about business schools and they're new to this and and they're learning about it and they might stumble upon the economist um, MBA ranking and that might be the first thing that they read about and then you have to explain to them why INSEAD is not really one of the worst business schools in the world. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have to explain your your opinion of, of, of the ranking and some of the, the history behind that. And it's just very frustrating for people at the school to have to deal with that. So, you know, my initial reaction was, well, thank God, it's uh, I can't believe it's taken them this long to do something about it. Yeah, that's really true. Maria? My first reaction was, we did it, guys. Hooray. (laughs) Yeah, we've been pretty harsh uh, critics, let's face it. Oh, we have trashed these guys year after year, uh, rightfully so, for I think the reasons that Caroline mentioned. Um, You know, and I think, Caroline, I, I really have a lot of sympathy for the position that you were probably in in those days, because it's very hard to explain to a prospective candidate why that ranking is garbage without sounding defensive, right? Without sounding like you're trying to overcompensate for something. Uh, But it really is a garbage ranking. And so I was actually, she actually, our our fellow, our resident diplomat here just used the word crap a few minutes ago, which is I think the first time (laughs) I've, I've ever heard you say something that is not completely proper and prim, which is really quite a treat for me. Um, no, I think I think this is wonderful. I, I, you know, it is it is embarrassing for the Economist, frankly, as a publication that a publication of its caliber and it's it's so meticulous and it's so sophisticated and rigorous in its analyses and every other topic in the world that when it comes to judging business schools, which you would think might be a pretty uh, strong source of interest for a number of its younger readers. It was just so weird that they they really just did not, they kind of made it up. <laughs> and it was very, it just led to all these weird results year after year. I guess if I were to look at a silver lining is that I think The Economist could use this as an opportunity to maybe completely redo the world of rankings. Maybe they could say, okay, everyone else does this thing where they find different factors and they rank each factor, they give it a weighting, and we are going to completely reinvent it. But, you know, it is kind of funny. I think I think people who go to business school and people who go to economics graduate school are kind of very different people. And I think MBA types would would have a little chuckle and say that this is very, very um, emblematic of how an economist thinks, which is not necessarily real world useful versus the way an MBA thinks, which is far more pragmatic in the real world. Yeah, uh, definitely true. And, you know, the latest list. Let's admit, it was an unmitigated disaster. 
I mean, you have Stanford in eighth place, Chicago Booth, which incidentally had been uh, a number one uh, MBA program, according to The Economist, in 2018 and 2019 was ninth. Uh, you have Olin Business School at, at Washington University, which is a very good school, but you know it, it actually got its highest rank ever, 19th ahead of UCLA, Cornell, and UT Austin. Uh, the year before it was uh, in 2019, actually, it was 41st. Uh, and, you know, you go back to why uh, the NCAA and London Business School just didn't want to have anything to do with it. The two giants of, of European business education, uh, the economist would routinely rank them very poorly, particularly in comparison to the Financial Times. Good example. Uh, and the last time the, the NCAA participated in the Economist ranking, it was, it was posted 22nd, 19 places below its uh, current Financial Times rank. LBS was 25th, 17 spots under its uh, current FT rank. And even if you look over the 18 separate rankings that the Economist has done dating back to many years when it started, uh, neither school, LBS or NCAA, has ever ranked first. And NCAA has only managed to rank in the top 10 once uh, in all those years. So, you know, there's plenty of disaffection by very important players who believe that the economists undermine their quality. And so I get it. But I, I, I do think we're going to lose something. And here's what we're going to lose. You know, business schools have long had a love-hate relationship with rankings, and it's understandable why they would. When you're ranked low, and there are these questions from applicants and faculty and uh, alumni that are annoying to, to answer because oftentimes you can't explain why a school goes down because there's so little transparency to the rankings, it's hard to understand what's going on. And the truth is the differences between and among these schools is so slight that the results underlying the numerical rank are highly clustered together and have no statistical meaning when you put an actual number uh, against the program. So I, I totally get it. But here's, here's the deal. The Economist is a prestigious and authoritative publication. It is read and engaged with by decision makers and influencers all over the world in the fields of economy, business, and uh, public policy. The fact that it devoted its resources to pumping out these three rankings every year really telegraphed to its readers that business education is important, it's worthwhile, and there is a good being served to society. No matter where your school ranks, the fact that The Economist believes these schools deserve its attention on a regular basis and devotes formidable resources to get these rankings published is a sign that business schools matter, business education is important. Um, and I think it does make people put business school education in, the, in their consideration set. It's a reminder that, yeah, there's value here. And boy, should I go and get this degree? Should I upskill? Should I enhance my ability to lead others and enhance my understanding of global business? Should I go and acquire that network of people who will support me and I will learn from throughout the rest of my life? Yeah, that's what the Economist ranking does when you separate the actual results from the, from the greater meaning, the greater context of what 
the economist imprimatur puts on the business of graduate management education. So on that level, I think we lose something. I wish that the economists instead said, look, we've been publishing crap. It's beneath our brand. It is shoddy and we need to fix it. And here's how we can fix it. And here's how we can also differentiate what we're doing from what other rankings are doing and therefore add value in the marketplace. I wish that the economists had taken that approach as opposed to just walking away. Caroline, don't you think we lose something here? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you, if you take the perspective that there's no publicity is bad publicity, then, then it is a bad thing. Although you know, I think Prince Andrew might disagree with that philosophy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, it's true that The Economist is such a weighty publication, as you point out, you know, it's read by so many decision makers around the world. And, um, you know, it's often read by um, ambitious young people. It's often read by students, right, around the world. Um, so it does have influence. And, you know, the, the attention that it brings to business school, I'm sure in, in some way was helpful. As you say, it just, you know, it boggles my mind that they they let this the state of affairs, you know, continue for so many years. And they didn't do something about it and they didn't turn things around. You know, as, as Maria said, you know, they are known for the quality of their analysis and the rigor. And, you know, it's a big organization. So how on earth could they not have sorted this out? And I don't know how, how many years has this ranking been going on for? I don't even know how many years it's been going on for, but it seems like it's a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about 18 years, maybe. Something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a long time, right, to be churning out rubbish for an organization like The Economist. So I think it's it's rather shabby that they didn't, you know, sort it out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that your colleague, Matt Simons, uh, said to me in my obituary for The Economist ranking <laughs> is that, You know, they, they did include many international business schools from Canada and Latin America to Europe and Middle East and Asia that, that were not in the FT ranking and, and gave, therefore, uh, would-be students uh, more wide-ranging worldwide study opportunities and, and attention, which is helpful. And the fact that they had an alternative to the FT's uh, master's in management uh, ranking, that's also helpful. And they took a global perspective, which, as we know, you know, U.S. News, which is the predominant ranking that many watch in the U.S. and many people who are bound for the U.S. for graduate education look at is totally U.S. centric. In that sense, it pretends that there is no other world other than the U.S. still. Bloomberg Businessweek, uh, from, you know, from one ranking to the next, changes its mind, but typically ranks schools that are not in the U.S. separately. Uh, Forbes uh, ranks them separately as well. So the FT and The Economist were the only two that had true global rankings. The other thing about The Economist, and this was both, I think, one of the things that ended up killing it, and one of the things that kind of made it special, was they paid a lot of attention to student opinion of the academic experience. And the problem was the small sample sizes made those uh, responses not credible and, and led to a lot of the volatility in the ranking. But nonetheless, you know, there, there are problems when you survey 
the latest graduates, including the cheerleading problem that you have where no one wants to undermine their own school in a ranking. So even if they had reservations about the experience, they might hide them from uh, the answers in, their, in the survey. But generally over time, over many classes, you do get to some general period of, of or, or level of truth in, in these student surveys. So that, that'll be gone. And, and there, was, there was some value in, in saying, hey, uh, we think the faculty were outstanding and stellar and consistent throughout and in other schools that was not true. Or we think the quality of the educational experience we received in the MBA program was top-notch or not, uh, or not quite top-notch. You know, seeing those answers was, was helpful. And the problem, the sample size being so small and so unpredictable, led to crazy, ridiculous results. But I think, you know, we'll, we'll miss some of that as well. Maria, last words on this? Don't yeah, say I mean, really, peace. Huh? Rest <laughs> in peace. Yes. Rest in peace. We hardly knew ye. Um, no, it was, you just, you guys just, you just said some really nice things about all oh, this stuff that they did and the benefits they brought. But I continue to think, sorry, guys, garbage in, garbage out. Like, I just, I really think this ranking, it was, you know, the subjective piece of it. It's true. It's wonderful to get the opinions of people who have gone through the program, right? Because they're going to know it best. The problem is that most people get one MBA in their lives. So how do they know what to compare it to? They might yeah. say, well, this faculty was amazing, but maybe if they would have gone to a different school, the faculty would have been even better. And I just, I don't know, it just, it's so weird. Like, for example, just really quickly, one of the 25% of their ranking was this student quality indicator. And like, number two was International University of Monaco. So I mean, hey, I love, <laughs> I would love to study business in Monaco, but you, you look at that and you're like, I, is it possible that maybe it doesn't pass the rational test? So yeah, I mean, did it maybe help get some new attention to University of Monaco? Probably, but it also doesn't exactly help a, a legitimate candidate who is really lost, new to the process and looking for truly helpful uh, criteria upon which to gauge a business school. I mean, Very true. Monaco would be great, but yeah, I mean, come on, guys. Very true. No doubt about that. Caroline, your last words on this? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was it was really an embarrassment. I mean, I, it was a huge source of frustration for me. Um, I, I do think it's a shame that they didn't try to turn things around. Maybe this is an opportunity for poets and quants, John, to, you know, you created oh, the Business Week ranking. Oh, God. Maybe you need to. <laughs> oh. Maybe you, you know, need I to replace this. You know, I would say this, you know, being, and I do recognize that it is, you know, a dubious distinction to be sure, but being the person who created the first full-time regularly published ranking back in 1988 at Business Week, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to do this with journalistic integrity and transparency. It's, uh, it's a monumental effort to create a, a ranking that adds some value to the marketplace and is useful to a prospective student. And th that's, that's why, you know, it's easy to be for us all, especially me, to be the armchair critic, the Sunday morning quarterback kind of person, uh, Monday morning quarterback, rather. And uh, it's so much harder to actually do it. 
And I can get that it would have been a mountain to climb for the economist editors to fix it. And the other problem, I think, for the economist was how it uh, did the ranking. You know, the people who did the rankings for the business schools were not the people who covered business schools. The longtime uh, editor of the ranking, Bill Ridges, uh, did all the other rankings and lists that the economist did. So he he wasn't fully invested in a way that someone who covers schools regularly, day in and day out, really knows the territory, has visited the schools, and and had a deeper understanding of uh, you know the true benefits of a business education and how to measure, try to measure quality. Try, I would say, not measure actual quality because that's almost impossible. I I, I think that divorce between those who cover the industry and those who rank the industry ultimately leads to an inferior ranking. And I think that that has long been the economist Achilles heel on the, on these rankings. If they had someone who day in and day out covered the business schools, met with deans, met with students, met with faculty, knew the industry day in and day out, and then allowed those judgments and understanding to inform a new and better ranking, uh, the result would be would have been very different than what it has been. So rest in peace, economist ranking. We will miss you, but um, we may not miss you all that much. <laughs> all right, Caroline, Maria, thank you very much again for your incredible insights and views. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast.